0: hello and welcome to the undaunted creative a podcast that takes a closer look into the story behind success in the creative fields today's guest ray flores is a ring announcer play-by-play commentator tv host and content creator he works for some of the largest boxing mixed martial arts and wrestling promotions across the world you've heard his voice on fox NBC, CBS, Showtime Sports, Sky Sports, and ESPN, among others. He has called more than 100 world title fights in his illustrious career, which began right here in the Midwest. We will discuss his creative output, some trials and tribulations, and how he stayed determined and motivated through it all. I'm honored to welcome Ray Flores.
1: What's up, Tom? Very much appreciate the generous introduction. Don't deserve what you said, but uh, nonetheless, glad to be here.
0: Well, first, Ray, I know how busy your schedule is, and not only do I appreciate you taking the time, but let's set the scene. You're in Vegas this week, which is a home away from home for you. Tell us yeah. a bit about the preparation you're doing for the upcoming card at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York.
1: So what's great about this is that, you know, it's the return of Deontay Wilder, the bronze bomber, former heavily champion in the world, looking to become a two-time heavyweight champion of the world. And his journey back starts coming up on October 15th against Robert Hellenius, who has been a top contender in Europe and even, you know, worldwide for over 10 years. I mean, it's crazy. I went and I looked up in his research that he was ranked number four in the world in 2011. I mean, that was just two years out of college for me, which goes to show you the long, the length of time that Hellenius has been at the top, but you know, it's the return of Deontay Wilder. We have a heck of a co-main event. With two former super middleweight champions fighting kayla plant anthony Durrell. but to answer your question when it comes to preparation and and promotion uh, pretty much i'm involved with premier boxing champions with fox and also do some stuff with showtime as well so you know when we are promoting a pay-per-view event it's about eight weeks out so we literally i was a part of the andy ruiz luis ortiz heavyweight showdown that happened you know labor day weekend on that sunday so literally we took about. I had another pay per view the following week. But when it comes to PBC, I took a week off from the PBC world, and then right after that, I got right into promotion, heavy promotion for Deontay Wilder, Robert Hellenius. So that's what we're doing now. We've been. We did a kickoff press conference on August 30th at Barclays Center in Brooklyn. I was in Vegas the past two weeks. Uh, you know, with Deontay Wilder last week. You know, I was out there on. Uh, you know, last Thursday flew out there Wednesday. Flew home Thursday, you know, was home for the weekend and then flew back to Vegas on Monday night for Kayla plants workout yesterday on Tuesday. So you know what, it's just a lot of stuff that we're doing and very excited. This is what we do what we do to have big fights like this, promoting them in big cities, bright lights, pay per view world champions. I love it, man.
0: So I want to travel in the Wayback Machine. Start off with your upbringing. Grew up in East Indiana, and you're the eldest of three boys. What were some of the earliest memories you have of watching sports and saying to yourself, that's what I want to do?
1: So just because I grew up in East Chicago, Indiana, I'm very proud of where I'm from, but I want to drop the Indiana from it because I'm not from – I don't claim Indiana at all. Like, I am a Chicagoan through and through. I mean, I eat, breathe, live Chicago sports – being in Chicago is pretty much, you know, that is where I really gained my roots in sports. So watching from a boxing standpoint, watching Julio Cesar Chavez, you know, the greatest Mexican boxer of all time from, you know, being raised here in Chicago. You know, I, I grew up during the Jordan years and watching Michael Jordan and those incredible legendary teams, but also Chicago is a Bears town. And, you know, still, I kind of got the last little bit of the remnants of those great teams in the late 80s and into the 90s. But I kind of learned what it was like to be a Bears fan, watching the Blackhawks do what they did. The White Sox were pretty good in the early 90s. So, you know, and and seeing what the Cubs had had to go through. So I was around during just such a wonderful time in not only national sports, but to me, more importantly than anything, Tom, aside from my boxing and, and my love for the fight game, But local sports, to me, really shaped who I have been as a fan, as a performer, as a reporter, as a play-by-play person. Because I grew up in the golden age of Chicago sports. There were so many talented players, coaches, commentators, front office people, media people. It was an incredible time in our city. Well, you
0: know, as a youngster, you were involved with sports, playing sports, and there was a turning point for you. At a really young age, you and your dad had a conversation about reality and what a career might look like. If I recall, it was after a swim meet. And can you share some of those details?
1: Yeah, I love it because my dad's always been brutally honest with me, not in a mean way, but he's just kind of like, you know, hey, you know, this is what it is. He's very black and white. So he asked me, he goes, I think I was a freshman, sophomore in high school. He goes, are you going to be an Olympic swimmer? I was like, probably not. He goes, Are you going to go D one? I'm like, maybe low D one at the max. He goes, yeah, you need to find something that you're going to do for the rest of your life that you're going to get paid to do. And during that whole, like in the past few months or a few months following that, you know, a job opened up at the local TV station to start doing like local high school reports and then it transitioned to doing high school basketball and football. And then I got into meeting Miguel Torres, who is a former WC Bantamweight champion of the world, who then introduced me to all these promoters. And then I went to Columbia and then, you know, MMA boxing radio show started and the rest has been history. So it kind of was like my dad setting the wheels in motion saying, look, you're not gonna be Michael Phelps, no disrespect to you, you're not gonna be Michael Phelps, do something you're gonna be able to make money on the rest of your life because this is not it. And I'm glad he was very honest with me.
0: Well, you know, you were ambitious you walk over to that cable station in town and you start that internship. Can you take us back to what is going through your mind as you embark on this journey? You're walking over to the station, you get the internship. What is it like to be in that station?
1: Well, for me, it's just kind of like, let me get better every single day and let me just get my time. Because the biggest thing, people always ask me, hey, what's the advice? What's the best advice you can give me? I'm like, experience. And now with the way that YouTube is, with Twitter, with you know, podcasts, there are more opportunities for people than ever before. It wasn't like that when I was coming up, and that just goes to show you my age because I'm 36 right now. But it wasn't like that. You needed to do either be a part of a website, a, a local you know radio station, college radio station. That why that's why WCRX was so important for my upbringing as well because I was doing radio two hours a week and that's not a lot, but that's better than nothing. That's better than one hour a week. And I was involved in always around the radio station, but the one thing is experience. So I gained experience at the local TV station. Everything they gave me was like the biggest thing I've ever had to do in my life. It was like doing a world championship fight. And I don't know how I got that mentality, probably from my parents, Tom, but it's that mentality of every show Well, it was from my parents, because my dad's in the top 40 band as well. But he always told me, he goes, you're only as good as your last performance. So I don't care if I was doing stuff in front of five people, 5,000 people, 50 people, 50,000 people, 5 million people. The intensity, the preparation, the focus is always the same.
0: Talking about Columbia, very important aspect of your story for those who are listening. You hustled. You didn't live on campus. You actually took the train to and from East Chicago. What was going through your mind as you took that sometimes daily trek back and forth?
1: It's like this is what you're you're doing this. So I remember always like pulling up, you know, to where Soldier Field was at and stuff, because you know, we took the South Shore train station. And right before you kind of pulled up to Soldier Field and then you got into, you know, the area of downtown where Columbia was at. And I remember pulling up there and I'm like, man, you know, and you see the buildings and you see kind of like the, the outskirts of the downtown right before Soldier Field. And I'm like, I'm going to live there one day, like, and I'm going to make that my home. And aside from my two years living in Los Angeles, uh, I've been here in downtown pretty much for, you know, well over, you know, 13, 14 years. And I love it here and I wouldn't trade it away for the world. I mean, literally there are times where when people call me up for, you know, shows, I do them, but I can't wait to come home. I'm like, well, can I cut my time on the road so I can be home? Because I love home. There's nothing like Chicago. It's a city that is, I think the greatest city in the world because of everything it offers. But I remember saying, I'm going to live there one day. And it kind of gave me that motivation to where it's like, look, there will always be someone that has more talent than you, that has a better sound than you that's younger, that's, you know, better looking, but no one's going to work harder than you. And that's my focus.
0: I love it. And you brought that focus to WCRX-FM, first ever MMA boxing radio wrestling show on the school's radio station, WCRX-FM. And that's where we really got to know each other. Like you, I grew up loving the sport of boxing. And lo and behold, here was a student who was hosting a show and getting the biggest names to talk to him. How did you finagle some of these names?
1: Well, I, I got to think, because I asked, you know, I we had a really good radio department when it came to Cheryl Morton Langston, who was the one who gave me the phone call asking me. She's the one who created the idea, so she's the one who deserves all the credit. Uh, Tony Kwasinski as well. You were there. Uh, you know, George Zarr was there. Jim Mitchum. We had a lot of talented instructors, so I kind of picked from everybody's brain, and the one thing when I was trying to come up with you know, the concept for the show is it's so visual. So how do you, how do you figure this out? So the first thing they told me is, look, oh, they go, get beat writers first. And Michael Hursley, who is a legendary boxing beat writer, now retired from the Chicago Tribune, he was my first guest. And he came in studio. This is a guy that was covering fights all the time ringside for the Chicago Tribune because it was when papers still mattered, newspapers still mattered. Because of that, I was introduced to Bernie Barmazone. Bernie Barmazas, the publicist for ACOM Productions, a local boxing promotion in the Chicagoland area. When Mayweather and De La Hoya started coming this way for their presser, I think they did eight cities in I don't know how many days prior to their fight in 2007. I asked Michael if he can, you know, talk to Bernie for me. Bernie goes, yeah, you know, he's a college kid. He's been covering our local shows. I'll credential him. Bernie credentialed me. That's when I was able to talk with, you know, you know, Delahoya and Mayweather. And then it just kind of built from there. But it's crazy to think that now I work with Bernie Barmazal. Now I do stuff with Floyd Mayweather's publicist on a regular basis, Kelly Swanson, and life comes full circle. And I, like literally ten years later, following the the Mayweather Delahoya presser in Chicago, there I am in London. It's Mayweather on my right, McGregor on my left, I'm in the middle, and we're ending the Mayweather-McGregor press conference and the world tour.
0: That's amazing. And, you know, the other thing that we sort of come full circle with at that time is you go back to the internship route. You have the opportunity to intern for both sports stations in Chicago at different junctures of your academic career. What were some of the takeaways from each of those stops?
1: You better be ready to work because you know when it comes to you know that world it is one of those things tom that like you know you have to put in the time you have to put in the effort and you know what i worked late at espn 1000 and i would go on to work there five years from 2011 to 2016 and then also at the score i worked in the morning so i had to be up at 3 a.m to get to the station by five to work in the morning so i worked the early morning shift with the score and i worked the late night shift with espn One Thousand. And I loved every minute of it because that's when you know you learn how to cut up tape. You learn what it was like to listen for a sound bite. Like even things now, when I do interviewing, because I wasn't even on the air those stations. I was just an intern cutting up tape, doing you know show prep for the guys, doing whatever it was that we needed, paying attention to all the scores. And what I learned is kind of how to listen for that really good sound bite. So when I'm interviewing guys now, fighters, and they say something. Why well, turn that around when I'm asking the question, because I am trained to listen for soundbites and those big like, oh, man, I can't believe he said that. I learned that when I was at ESPN 1000, and then I took that into my momentum with the score, and it just helped broaden my horizons as a journalist.
0: So intuitive, and you get hired by ESPN as a sports anchor at the time. Um, you're also, your ring announcing career is starting to become more active. You're flying all over the world on the weekends to ring announce, and then you hit a crossroads in your career. You really had to bet on yourself. So yeah. you jumped into the ring announcing full time. Crucial decision. Yeah. Looking back, how did you come to that decision?
1: Well, it was one of those things that, because I was a sports anchor with ESPN 1000, and updates were kind of not becoming as relevant because everyone has the scores in their hands now you know in the palm of their hand on their phone you know with all these apps so it was one of those things that premier boxing champions this is 2016 i got with them in july of 15 and it was like a little over a year and i'm like you know what these guys really treat me good you know they're giving me good opportunities to ring announce on fs1 on fox do all these press conferences you know i i had to pick and the one thing and i'll and i'll give I gotta give both guys credit. I gotta give Jonathan Hood credit, and I gotta give the Lake rate, my dear friend, may you rest in peace, Jeff Dickerson, all the credit in the world. Both guys told me, they said, listen, they go never pass up anything nationally for anything locally, not just this place, but anything locally, it'll always be here. Anything nationally, you take. Don't even question yourself. Both guys were my radio big brothers. And they told me that, and I took that with me. And when it came time to worry, oh, you gotta be around more, whatever. I was like, well, I can't pass up these opportunities to travel all over the United States, all over the world. And I bet on myself. And I decided to really focus in on the announcing full time. And literally less than a year after I made that decision, the Mayweather McGregor tour rolled around. And I was a part of that where we did four cities in four days. And I did the prep, the promotion, even during fight week. The grand arrivals and you know doing the fight you know doing the translation for the fight on pay-per-view you know um you know going ahead and being um you know helping out sugary leonard when it came to research i mean it was unbelievable and and the journey has been fantastic
0: well another huge moment which i love to tell students about is you're working the undercard of a mayweather fight and afterwards you go to floyd mayweather's mother's house (laughs) i want to give you the floor to tell this amazing story
1: so I became good friends. I mean, I really become friends with a lot of people in the sense that, you know, I just, I connect with people and I, I really enjoy being around people. I enjoy good people with good energy. And I remember meeting at one of the local Bobby Hits fights because I was a ring announcer for Hits Boxing. Bobby Hits, a local promoter, a legend in this area without question. And I remember my buddy came up to me. He's like, hey, you know, I'm, you know my name is Cedric, blah, blah. You know, I'm a big fight fan. We started talking. We hit it off right away. And then this is, I did Mayweather Canelo, the undercards. That was my first big Vegas fight. I did undercards for that September of 13 during Mayweather, Maidano, him and I kept in contact and he came and hung out at a few fight parties I was doing. And he goes, Hey man, he goes, I want you to stay until Monday. You know, I'm really tight with Floyd. Like I've known Floyd for 15, 20 years. I know his family. We'll go over to his mom's house. They do a victory party on that Sunday. My cool picks me up at one o'clock in the afternoon. We're out. Everyone's having a good time. Floyd rolls in around seven o'clock. They show the fight over. They watch his fight. They watch the victory. Everyone's paying attention. Cat Williams happens to be there. My buddy introduces me to Cat Williams. Like, Hey Ray, this Cat Williams. And then my buddy, like, I didn't even ask him to do this. He's like, Hey, Ray's a big ring announcer. He's really coming up. And then Cat looks at me, goes, I could use somebody like you. I'm like, and then my buddy's like, what do you mean? What? He goes, yeah. He goes, I'm doing, I'm doing my HBO comedy special. I'm coming back next week. Uh, you know, I, I need, you know, we wanted to get Michael Buffer, but Hey, if we can't get Michael Buffer, you're the next best thing. And he goes, send me a tape. And my buddy goes, no, no, he's not going to send you a tape. And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, he goes, he told Kat, he goes, he can audition for you right now. He goes, he goes, tell him, you know, tell, give him something to say. He goes, all right. So I gave, you know, he gave me a line to say, I said it. He goes, you're hired. He goes, my assistant will be here in 30 minutes. Uh, you know, you know, I'll send her to you and then, uh, work out the deal. I'll see you next week in LA. And that's how it happened. Like literally just, again, if all these things had to happen for me to be in this particular place at this particular time, my buddy put me on the spot without me even knowing it. But the reason why I tell you this is always be ready. Like that's my focus. Always be ready. Never not be ready. It's all what we tell fighters. What I tell myself, what I tell other announcers, always be ready. I was ready. I wasn't like, Oh, I can't do it. I was like, yeah. Okay. What do you want me to say? Not even hesitating. I was like, okay, here we go. And I got the gig and then I worked with following that the following week, we did the HBO comedy special and I worked with Spike Lee, like Spike Lee was my director, the entire show and working with Spike Lee, like we had rehearsals the day of the show all day, like from 10am till about four o'clock PM. And I was like, and we had rehearsals all day. And literally right before we're getting ready to start the show. We go over to Spike, it may be 30 minutes before. I'm like, hey, I'm like, you know, thank you for the opportunity. He goes, I'm not worried about you. And he go, I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, I'm not worried about you. He goes, I know you're going to crush it. So I already had pressure on myself, Tom, before to perform for Kat and, you know, 10, 12,000 people in this place. But then Spike Lee, one of the greatest producer directors of our lifetime goes, I'm not worried about you. I know you got this. So it was an unbelievable experience and real quick, cause I know we're short on time, but I was up there and I don't, I'm not used to memorizing lines. There was a moment, this is why I tell students always use clutch words or crutch words whenever you can. So I'm saying these lines and I remember my mind went blank for like two, three seconds. And I was like, oh my God, cause I've been memorizing these lines all day, all day. And then I said something, I used a, a crutch word along with, and then boom, it got me on track again but it felt like an eternity, but it really wasn't. But it was like my mind went blank. I always tell people use crotch words whenever you can. I use them, bang, we got it done. It was an incredible experience.
0: love that story. And as we wrap things up, I wanted to get a sense of what goes through your
1: mind as you begin to take that walk into the ring. It's freaking awesome, you know? So one of my favorite, my favorite country to visit on the planet is Japan. And I've been fortunate to work three world title fights in Japan over the past several years. The last one was Gennady Golovkin, Ryota murata at Saitama Super Arena. And you know, I'm the main ring announcer there and there are these 12, 14,000 Japanese fans. They have so many people watching all over their country. And it's like, this is why you've done what you've done your entire life. Nothing else matters. So everything I've done, It's down to this moment. It's like, you know, anybody, it's like a game seven. It's like an Olympic final. It's like a world cup final. That's my moment. And I better knock it out of the park, but knock it out of the park where I'm focusing on the fighters, showcasing the fighters. It's not about you. It's about them. But to make sure that my performance is so good that I give them their just due to introduce them in terms of the proper way that they should be as world champion gladiators. That ring walk is unbelievable. Am I I a little nervous? Yeah. Am I focused? Yes. But at the same time, it's like, this is why you do what you do. This is why you deal with, because I'm not gonna lie to you, Tom, it's a very political business. And there are a lot of ups and downs that people don't know about, but it's those moments we live for that drive us to be what we do. It's why I travel already this year. I've traveled 135,000 miles and we're only you know, through the first week of October. So that's why we do what we do.
0: Well, and I know how prepared you are listening to you. I know how much work you put into this and that passion has always been there from day number one. Last question, um, students obviously can see you on TV. People can see you on TV, can follow you on Instagram and Twitter for all your latest endeavors. But before we leave, what advice do you have for those creatives out there listening who might have some self-doubt or imposter syndrome lurking in their heads
1: what i would say because i mean i even go through it now because you know the i always have high expectations of myself and i think everyone should like nobody should give you higher expectations than yourself and with that you can be you know hard on yourself and you don't take time to step away and smell the roses and see how far you've come So always demand the most out of yourself, expect the most, but also look at how far you've come. If you're doing everything in your power to put yourself in a position to succeed and you're getting better every single day, then you just kind of have to have a little bit of patience. And it's something I'm working on. It's something my mom drills in my head because I have none because I want it now. I wanted it yesterday. You know, that's my mentality, but you can't get too down on yourself. Focus on getting better, focus on creating, focus on you know every single show you do, getting that opportunity and knocking it out of the park. It must be the biggest event you're ever going to do in your life when you get on that microphone. But always stay focused and don't get too down on yourself because sometimes things take a little bit longer. And I have been up for jobs where they don't happen and it's devastating to me. But then months later, even a year later, things happen to where it's like, if I got this, I wouldn't have gotten this. And because I kept going forward and applying myself and not getting too down on myself and believing that I'm meant to be here, this door opened up, which is way greater than the opportunity that I was so devastated about a year later. I mean, there, I can tell you so many stories, Dom, that'll fill up, you know, two, three hours of where I've been to LA and met this producer. And then I had to go to here for this and I had to do this and that, you know what I mean? So... I, uh, you know, that's one thing that, uh, you know, is very much near and dear to my heart. Don't get too down to yourself and stay focused and stay positive because you have to look at yourself in the mirror and go, is this what I truly meant to do? If the answer is yes, keep going forward. Sage advice.
0: Ray Flores, it was an honor having you on the Undaunted Creative.
1: Appreciate it, Tom. As always, man, anytime you need me, just give me a holler.
0: Thank you so much.